Thank you for tuning in to this 12th episode of the Old Code Podcast. I'm your host. In following last Friday's episode, I'm wanting to start talking about certain topics that I'm passionate about. And I really enjoy talking about why we should do certain things as opposed to other things. And I will be the first to say that I am really not the best at uh, following through on what I'm talking about. And that's partially because I don't make a whole lot of money. And what I'm talking about today sometimes costs a fair amount of money. But the topic that I have for today is pushing against mammon slash pushing against consumerism. Consumerism has... I laid out the problems with consumerism and the problems with the materialistic society that we've built and the fact that we have an industry and an economy which is built around the the term is planned obsolescence it's built around the idea that we're going to make things with the intention that we know you are going to buy the next iteration of the thing we're building and making things that are really only designed to last long enough until you buy the next version of the thing and what and whether or not that's clothing or an iphone or your laptop or even a house and that's something i want to get into in a second we are designing goods so that they can be bought again as opposed to designing goods for longevity or for the beauty of the product we give very 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 little regard to to the topic of beauty and aesthetics when it comes to how we construct our goods so with that being said let's get into it and believe it or not the first topic the first aspect that i'd like to talk about is how we construct our homes so i spent about a year and a half, two years, working in construction and as a handyman. So, the first time I went to Europe, it was definitely a game changer for me. I should say the only time I've been to Europe. Uh, because I, before that, I was working in construction as a handyman. And I was working on homes that were falling apart after... 15 to 20 years they are not the stucco was breaking apart the drywall was crumbling the electricity had to be revamped something had to be changed the wood was rotting all of it, it the, these homes or the, the roofs needing to be replaced after three years, five years, ten years, um, all of this was just like, okay, yeah, this, this is just the life cycle, but then I went over to Europe uh, for honeymoon with my wife, and 
I was really taken aback by the fact that one of the Airbnbs we were staying at, the woman was giving us a tour, and the building we were in, it was, she was saying that it was, I believe she said 200, 250 years old, and it had been well-maintained, but not just well-maintained, it had been built to last. It had been built with a very, it's, with materials that were meant to last generations. And if I'm remembering correctly, the expected lifespan of a house today is really meant to only be 20 to 30 years. It's meant to be a single generation dwelling place. And then it either gets stripped down to the studs and then revamped or bulldozed and another house takes its place. So a little bit of the history as to why our building strategies and building techniques are the way they are. And I know I levy a lot of complaints with the Industrial Revolution, but I'm going to levy another one with this, so be prepared. Starting with I want to say the mid-1800s, we shifted from what is called timber framing to balloon framing or stick framing. So timber framing involves, typically involves joints and joinery, meaning that you cut the wood to the exact length and dimensions that you want it to be at, then you cut a hole or a joint in which the other piece of wood then rests in, and it locks into place from there. The older buildings were made with stone, they were made with cob, they were made with, with bricks and natural materials. So the, the first point is this original building technique the structure of it was late, was in place before the finishing ever took place. What ended up happening was as settlers in America started moving west, the population started to boom. We had more people and we had more unskilled laborer and we had more demands for things. And so we invented what is now called stick framing or building with two by fours, dimensional lumber as it were. And so we figured out that you could build faster with these pieces of two by four or two by six, four by six, four by eight, whatever. With nails, you cut it, you cut it to length on the job site you construct it from blueprints so that all of the work effectively is done on the job site itself. And that goes up much faster and you don't need as skilled of laborers because what you need with a timber frame house is not only a group of men to be able to raise the structure, you need a group of men who have trained to to five years to be able to construct all of these 
precisely cut joints. So the point that I'm getting at with talking to you about timber framing versus stick framing is not just about how we construct our homes. It's how we construct all of our goods and services. So because these two by four houses are built with the need to go up within a matter of weeks, they end up really cutting corners. They only become really structurally stable once you put what's called the the sheathing up, or it's these sheets of wood. And then once you put the sheets of wood over the two by fours, all of the two by fours effectively lock in place. So you have a very unstable structure until the moment that you actually lock it all in place with these sheaths. But oftentimes these, these sheets of wood are made from composite materials, the glues break down over time, all of the above. Uh, so the lifespan between one of these 2x4 sheath balloon, uh, <laughs> balloon structures, effectively is what they're referred to, is far lower. We've gone from an expected lifespan of a house being 100 years to 30 years, especially as we have needed to ramp up construction more and more, because not only are more people being born, more people are moving to different cities and locations, so we need structures going up faster and faster and faster, but this causes the conundrum of the quality then starts going lower and lower and lower, because we are using goods that are being put together faster and more efficiently, but they are not designed to last for 500 to 1,000 years. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, contrasting that with there are certain Japanese temples, if I'm remembering correctly, that are over 500 years old. I believe one is close to 1,000 years old, built, I think, in the 1100s. Um, there's Icelandic timber buildings, I want to say Icelandic, uh, that are going on hundreds and hundreds of years old. So, again, the, the reason why I'm bringing this to your attention is because the problem that we're trying to touch on today is not just consumerism, it's the need for more artisans. We need more artisans to produce artisan goods, really. And the reason for this is because we don't want an economy that is built around things that fall apart. That doesn't sound... That really doesn't sound like an ideal way to do culture. And... So, so I have more thoughts, but I will... I will carry on. With the... With my... I'm proposing to you... Start considering purchasing artisan goods. In the long run, these things will last longer 
They are meant to be more durable. They are meant to... Typically, they are not, if they are not bespoke, they are made in small batches. So one of the big things this does is it actually reduces waste in the production process because artisans are forced to use all the materials that they have at their disposal. So the industrialized mindset that I just laid out for you with the way we construct our homes can be applied to the way we construct all of our goods, really. So with our plates, with our desks, with our chairs, all of it. The reason why IKEA can produce such cheap or inexpensive chairs is because, or tables, is because they are made with inexpensive, cheaper, and lower quality materials. And because they are made with inexpensive, cheaper, lower quality materials, they are not going to last as long, which economically actually shakes out to just springing for goods that are made to last. If you have to buy the same thing every five years, but it costs a fifth of the price, then it ends up costing about the same. But I digress. We're pushing against Mammon, the deity Mammon, as far as greed and as far as consumerism goes not just because it lasts longer, but because it ultimately honors the artisan and the artist more so. When you have an artisan who is creating the product from beginning to end, you end up with more skilled laborers. And I do not want anyone who is working a factory job to think that I am talking down to you or about you. But artisan workers and bespoke creators are more skilled in their field than factory workers are who only work one part of the assembly line. Now, the fact of the matter is, is industrialized society, has we have benefited from it heartily in our day and age because we can go to a Walmart and pick up a $10 toaster. That's a good thing. You know, instead of having to spend $100 or however much you want to run the numbers on and say, yes, we have cheap, inexpensive labor, cheap, inexpensive parts. These are they do benefit the individual. But I'm wanting to profess something in that we don't want something that just benefits the individual. We want something that benefits society. So, oftentimes, when you get a bespoke pair of shoes or a bespoke suit or article of clothing, something that is made for you by an artisan, you are not only fostering an economic exchange, you are fostering a relationship. So oftentimes with these bespoke 
articles of clothing, you have a relationship with the individual that doesn't just extend to the product, but they, it, it's effectively a living warranty. If you go in and your shoes, shoes need retreading, it is far more inexpensive to retread the shoe or resole the shoe than it is to buy a whole brand new pair from them. And they will oftentimes do that. If not free, then, like I said, at a much more inexpensive cost. The same goes with producing technological goods. And I would propose that it is far more feasible in this day and age, especially with home CNC mills and home 3D printers and people excelling in knowledge and information to start producing not only these handmade goods like clothes and soap and food and the like, but we can actually start doing these things with more complicated goods. There's a video that I saw a while back which really opened my eyes to how these things can be produced. Beautiful goods can be produced at home. Uh, and I will link that in the description. But this fellow creates a microphone out of, I believe, $30 worth of materials. And it's beautiful. And I can't say how long it will last, because only time will tell on that. But it's remarkable what people are able to construct at home nowadays. So with that being said i think that we need to reconsider the artisan handmade movement it gets a bad rap because these goods are more expensive but they're more expensive because you're paying first of all for higher quality materials but also higher quality skills and i think as a society we need to be encouraging more skilled individuals to step up. We have ended up being very driven by a managerial mindset in recent years where the person who is most venerated at the factory is not the most skilled laborer, they are the most skilled manager. They are the person who governs the people who create the goods as opposed to creating the goods themselves. And I don't want to talk down about people who can manage people. That's a very, it's a very necessary skill. But we need to start encouraging skilled laborers as well. I think the first thing that we can start doing that with is our goods and services. I have a very good friend of mine who has recently started working at a woodworking business and he's building out his tool collection, he's building out all of the stuff that he needs in order to create, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, late 19th century handmade chairs. And that's, that's what he wants to do and that's what he's doing and the word the work that he's producing is beautiful. So, to recap, to give you the cliffs notes, 
these things last longer because they are better quality. We have a better relationship with the people who create the goods. We are encouraging more skilled laborers. But in that also, if we start encouraging more skilled laborers in the fields that they are in, we start reducing the number of jobs that are outsourced to other communities. And really we start encouraging jobs found within our own communities. Um, good. And again, this is all a very old world mentality, but another thing that I was struck by when we were to Europe was every town had, or every town, or multiple bakers. Every town had multiple locations, or had either one or multiple locations for a particular good, as opposed to banking on the ability to go to the town next over to get that good. And I think that that's something which is very beneficial to the local community, which is being able to have interdependence within the community and independence from other communities. Now, obviously, it's good to garner good relations within other communities, but the way we do our economics, we ought to be focusing on how do we love our neighbors as ourselves. And one of the ways we can do that is, first of all, by producing quality goods and by purchasing quality goods from our neighbors. When we purchase something that's a little bit more expensive, or definitely more expensive, when it's an artisan good, whether that's pottery or soap or artisan bread or something along those lines within our community, we are helping those who we know directly as opposed to going down to your local Walmart and picking up a loaf of bread from people that we have never met. But also we are, when we stimulate our local economy by not giving in to globalist consumerism, we're also communicating to the corporations at large that we don't want goods that have been produced in sweatshops. We want goods that were produced by people who have been cared for and that we know they're going to be okay. And really that's another one of the things that globalism and consumerism has really lended, lended itself to is finding as cheap of labor and as efficient of building techniques as possible. Shirts that we get at Walmart for or Target for $5, oftentimes they're not produced by people who are living in the best conditions. They're not seeing a tenth of pro the proceeds from the $5 even. They're oftentimes living in very poor conditions. And if we started stimulating our local economy and indeed encouraging those in other communities to start doing the same, and even those in third world countries, those goods and services 
could benefit them instead of benefiting us. Because when we acquiesce to purchasing goods that were produced by people who will never see a tenth of the, or even a hundredth of the profit that these goods are bought for on our end, standing on the sh on their shoulders instead of building up our local communities we're standing on the backs of people who make very very little money indeed so th the encouragement that i'd like to leave you with is figure out what ways in the way you are doing life figure out the ways that you can be stimulating A, your local artisans. How can you be encouraging them? Not only by producing their goods, or by purchasing their goods, but maybe even taking up a skilled trade yourself. Figure out whether you're buying something for the sake of convenience and efficiency, or if you are purchasing something because it was made for quality and with care. Because what's the point in purchasing a good if it does not actually contribute to the good of our community or our society? So, I think that's all I got for you today. Um, really just, this is an episode about pushing back against consumerism. This is an episode about vying for more skilled individuals in our society. We don't want to live in peasant conditions and maintain peasant skills. We want to encourage noble skilled workers. And as a, as a, as a parting note, actually, I'll say this. When you look at medieval Europe, when you look at older Japan or feudal Japan when you look at the Renaissance the primary mode of upward mobility for those in the lower class was in learning a skill or a trade or an art being a peasant to someone of note was by learning how to be a really dang good blacksmith or a woodworker or a tailor or an amazing cook that was always skills were always the method of upward mobility for those in poor conditions so maybe consider picking up a skill for yourself learn something little whether it's leather working or making soap or something along those lines, learn how to produce or even appreciate quality goods. Because there are people out there who are doing amazing things with raw materials. And so learning how to appreciate why these things are more expensive it's, it's good, and it's a good source of perspective for anyone trying to live a better and more noble life.
So, this has been the Old Code Podcast. I am your host. I'm considering attaching some sort of moniker because saying that I'm your host is a little bit dull. Uh, I've been considering taking a page out of another one of my favorite podcasters' books. Uh, he, Andrew Huberman of the Huberman Lab, he always comments, says that he's not a doctor, he's a professor, he doesn't prescribe, he professes things. And I feel like that's all this podcast is trying to do. I'm trying to profess things. So I don't know if taking on the moniker of the professor would be egotistical or if it would just be received uh, if it would be received well but I'm considering taking it on because I like monikers uh, in other news I'm considering starting outlets for this community I've been told I've been encouraged to start some sort of discord server or something along those lines, and I've been told that it'd probably be good to have a website. So, if you have any input or feedback on any of those things, drop me a line. If you have my phone number, text me. The email is in the show notes. And this, and that's pretty much all I got for you today. In any case, this has been the Old Code Podcast. It's been a delight and enjoy talking to you. I'll, I'll catch you next time.